1: As a platform for truth and healing, we are on a mission to help others that suffer from PTSD and help bring awareness to mental health issues.
0: To hear my story and others, you can find Invisible Tears wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.
1: Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with Therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Imagine your
0: parent nervously pacing around your injured child's hospital room. A doctor begins asking you question after question about how your kid got hurt. You begin to realize that they are asking about your involvement in the accident. Where were you when he fell? How did he actually fall? And then you slowly start to see that they think you hurt your child intentionally. Wondery and NBC News present Do No Harm, the terrifying true story of a family torn apart by the system that was supposed to protect them. Investigative reporter Mike Hixenbach chronicles what happens to the Bright family when their three kids are ripped away from them and the shocking moments that came next. With exclusive audio captured as the events unfolded, Do No Harm takes you inside the most harrowing moments of the Bright's family's fight to protect their children. Wondery, the makers of Dr. Death, Dirty John, and The Shrink Next Door, and NBC News, the team behind Dateline, The Thing About Pam, and Motive for Murder join forces to bring you an investigative true crime show unlike any other, Do No Harm. You are about to hear a preview of Do No Harm. While you're listening, be sure to subscribe to Do No Harm on Apple Podcasts. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen to the episode one week early and ad-free.
2: It was half past five on a Wednesday evening in Tomball, Texas. LeVar Jones pulled off the highway, put his car in park, and sent a text to his boss. Just an update. I'm waiting on law enforcement to meet me at the residence. As he would later testify, Lavar was worried about how this night might play out. I do believe that they will give me a hard time. That's why I have not initiated yet, so I'll wait and play it by ear. Two hours later, he was still waiting. The police backup he'd requested wasn't on the way, and Lavar decided to go it alone. I'm going to go ahead and attempt to initiate. He drove north on a tree-lined country road passing pastures lined with white fences. Then he turned off, into a newly built subdivision, where all the trees were chopped down, but the streets were all named after them. Right turn on Pine Trace Drive, left on Hickory Lane, right on Black Birch. He pulled up outside a two-story brick house, with big glass windows, a small square of lawn, one of many that looked almost exactly like it. The home of Melissa and Dylan Bright. He was here because he believed that these two might harm their children. That they might already have harmed their children. That's why he had to act tonight. LeVar was nervous as he stepped out of his car and walked towards the front door. Inside the house, the Brights had reason to be nervous too. That's why they planned to record everything that night. Okay, Uh it is 7.30, September 19th, and our meeting with Lavar. we've just been told that... Lavar didn't know, couldn't have known, that he was about to walk into the toughest fight of his career, a scandal that would rock the government agency where he works, and raise serious questions, like, who's really looking out for children, and is this what it takes to keep them safe? Okay,
0: come calm, calm down. No, it's my children. I can't calm down. I'm, I'm not. We, we're not
2: going to do that.
0: And so we can't see our children until then? So, my yeah. breastfed son? You are taking him from my breast. Melissa. You are responsible for taking my child away from my breast. That was just a preview of Do No Harm from Wondery and NBC News. To hear the entire episode, subscribe to Do No Harm on Apple Podcasts. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen early and ad-free.
2: There were two more murders 15 miles well, away we in the Silver Lake section
0: We have a... Hundred. by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird
1: religion. of murder.
0: You never know when a case begins how long it will take to solve. The discovery of two bodies on November 10th, 1985 would send investigators on a years-long case to find the chameleon killer. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On November 10, 1985, a hunter walking through Bear Brook State Park in Allenstown, New Hampshire stumbled upon a strange sight. Near the spot where a burned-down store once stood was a 55-gallon metal drum, and inside were the bodies of an adult female and a young girl, both wrapped in plastic. Their bodies had been there for quite some time. Autopsies put the death between 1977 and 1981, and cause of death being blunt force trauma. And if that discovery wasn't weird enough, on May 9, 2000, over 15 years later, a similar metal drum was found near the same spot containing the bodies of two children. Their cause of death and time of death were the same as the first two. Together, the four bodies became known as the Allenstown Four. The investigation continued and found that the adult body was Caucasian with possible Native American ancestry and was between the ages of 23 and 33 with curly brown hair. The young girl found with the adult body was between 5 and 11 years old, the middle child between 2 and 4 with a prominent gap between her teeth, and the youngest between 1 and 3. But with very little to go on, their identities remained a mystery for a number of years. 14 years and two reconstructions later, police announced that with the help of DNA profiling, they were finally able to determine that the youngest and oldest children were related to the adult female, that it was likely that she was their mother. Other forensic information found that, while the three who were related lived together in Northwestern United States between two weeks and three months before their death, the other girl, the one who was unrelated, likely originated from Arizona, Texas, California, or Oregon. Then in 2017, a major break came with the announcement that Denise Bowden, who had been missing since 1981, was connected to the murders. She, along with her daughter and boyfriend, Robert Evans, had gone missing in 1981, but were not reported missing until 2016, when the daughter showed up in California alive and well. Except, as they learned, and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children announced, Robert Evans' DNA connected him to the unidentified middle child who was found in the barrels, the one not related to the other three women. By 2018, the initial speculation that Denise Bowden was the adult female found in the barrels was squashed. And they found that Robert Evans was not only a pseudonym, but that he was a man who died in prison in 2010 while serving a sentence under that same name for the 2002 murder and dismemberment of his then wife, Unsoon soon Things seemed to only get more confusing as time went by. So working with the small bits of information they did have, police made the incredibly smart decision to release the video interview of Robert Evans in hopes that someone would see it and know his true identity. Two months later, with the help of DNA from one of his sons, Robert Evans was identified as Terry Peter Rasmussen. Terry, born December 23, 1943, was a native to Denver, Colorado. He attended school, joined the Navy, and eventually got married and had four children while living in Phoenix, Arizona and then Redwood City, California. But six years after their wedding, Terry's wife left him and took the children with her after he was arrested for aggravated assault. Terry began living a bit of a transient life and was known to have traveled to Colorado, Idaho, Virginia, Texas, Ohio, Oregon, Hawaii, and California, all before settling in New Hampshire in the late 1970s as Robert Evans. He was also known to have traveled with women and children. With this information, police speculated that Denise Bowden was one of these women, and that she was killed somewhere in California. Though he kept her daughter Lisa with him until the mid 1980s, posing as her father before abandoning her, Denise's body has never been found. Then, in 1999, he resurfaced under the name of Larry Vanner, the husband of California-based chemist Unsoon Jun. They were married in 2001, and in June of 2002, the newlywed went missing. Her body was eventually found buried in cat litter after suffering from blunt force trauma to the head. Her husband was arrested, pleaded no contest in 2003, and was sentenced to 15 years in prison. The guilty plea, though, had a Contra Costa homicide detective scratching her head. She believed that he only pled guilty because she mentioned she was going to DNA test Lisa and find out if he really was her father. Through fingerprinting, they were able to determine that he used a number of aliases over the years. In 2003, San Bernardino sheriffs opened the case to find Lisa's biological family, during which they determined that Lisa was, in fact, not related to Terry Rasmussen but the case failed to get any traction and fell apart completely when he died in 2010. But it was with this case and the help of genealogical websites that they not only determined that the man who Lisa thought was her father was actually her kidnapper, but placed him in New Hampshire at the time of the Bear Brook murders, and that while living there, Larry Vanner was known as Robert Evans. With that, Larry Vanner... Robert Evans, and Terry Rasmussen were all connected. It was all basically one very complicated puzzle with one man and a number of identities. Hence the name he was later given, the Chameleon Killer. With this thread unraveled and sites like Ancestry.com, on June 6th, 2019, police were able to announce that the adult female was Marlies Honeychurch and her daughters were Marie Elizabeth Vaughn and Sarah Lynn McWaters all of whom went missing from California around Thanksgiving of 1978, while Marlise was dating Terry Rasmussen. The identity of the middle child, the one identified as Terry's biological daughter, remains a mystery. Police believe that Terry was responsible for a number of missing women and children, including Lisa's siblings, who mysteriously died, quote while eating grass and mushrooms when out camping. Unfortunately, with him dead, there is no chance he will be held responsible for their deaths, and connections may be difficult to make in the future. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on November 11th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon, Patreon, or just sharing it with your true crime-obsessed friends. And remember stay safe.